Welcome to And With Your Spirit, a homily podcast that takes preaching out of the sanctuary and moves it into your daily life. Let us make ourselves open to the voice of Christ and the movement of the Holy Spirit, that we might be transformed. Welcome back to the And With Your Spirit podcast. This is Father Tyler Tenbarch. I'm the voice that you have been hearing uh, as you've been listening to these episodes for the last couple of years. And as we move into this new calendar year of 2022, um, my podcast producer, Clifton, asked if we could kind of uh, broaden the scope, and I thought it was a great idea. And so basically he said, you know, if, if people are listening to these homilies and they might be helpful for people, then what about having more homilies on the podcast from more different voices? And I said, well, I'd love that because uh, back whenever I agreed to do this a couple of years ago as the pandemic um, kind of uh, struck and got going, it was a good way to kind of reach people uh, in their everyday life versus just having them at church because back then uh, the doors were closed and we couldn't reach each other as much in person. And so I said yes to the podcast, but I, even back then I had said, I don't want this to become like a, a the Father Tyler show. You know, I don't want to like become a, a personality in that sense. And so um, anyways, he had a great idea of inviting um, other priests that are pretty good at preaching and that have something um, worthy of offering uh, the listeners. And so in this first in, uh, installment of the first guy we're going to bring in, the first priest we're going to bring in, we've invited Father Tony Ernst um, to share some homilies on the podcast. And so uh, this episode is just going to be a little interview that Father Tony and I did. I think it was last summer, so the summer of 2020. So it's been a bit now. This was uh, during the shutdown. Clifton and I drove up to Vincennes to visit Father Tony in his rectory um, in the northern part of the Evansville Diocese in southwest Indiana. Um, And there we asked him about his vocation, kind of how he heard the call to priesthood. He talks a little about his family and their reaction and his pastor. He talks a little bit about about being my pastor, actually, whenever I was growing up. He talks about uh, how you promote vocations and then kind of just uh, tells some stories and some wisdom about kind of living the Catholic faith out in one's life. So anyway, so this episode is basically just a little introduction for those who don't know Father Tony, so you can kind of get to know him. And then after you hear this episode, you'll start hearing from time to time, maybe once or twice a month, a homily from Father Tony on this podcast, and also from others who we will, we will introduce in the coming weeks and months. So thank you for, uh, for listening, um, because I, not, not just because you know, we want the views or anything, Thank you for listening because it's really important um, that we fill our uh, we fill every part of our life with things that are of the Lord, and that includes you know that includes filling our calendar with things that are related to God, filling our day with things that are related to God, but also filling um, even our speakers, our podcasts, our cell phones, our all of those things um, with the voice of Christ, so we can tr- uh, try to be transformed ourselves into His likeness. So I hope you enjoy this episode uh, as we sit down with Father Tony, and I hope you continue to enjoy uh, all of the homilies you hear on this podcast and with your spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Loving God, send your Holy Spirit upon us to help us draw closer to your Son, Jesus, as we follow his call in our lives. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm Father Tyler Tenbarge, and I am joined today by Father Tony Ernst. Welcome, Father Tony. Thank you. Glad to be with you. We're sitting here in the old cathedral rectory in Vincennes, Indiana, one of the oldest houses probably in the state of Indiana, if we actually had to boil it down, probably in the top, what, 0.1% or something of the oldest places. And right now above us, although we can't see it, in the upstairs, there's a bunch of construction going on to try to get this place move-in ready for a bunch of seminarians and a new associate pastor soon, right? 
That's correct. We're yeah. working on it. Father Tony, you moved into this house almost a year ago, right? In the summer of 2019. That's correct. Would you kind of just tell us where you are, what your titles are here up in Vincennes? Sure. This is one large parish now. It was a merged parish of five individual parishes. It became one. So I'm the administrator of St. Francis Xavier Parish, and I'm also the administrator of St. Philip Neri Parish in Bicknell, as well as the chaplain at the uh, middle high school here, well, the K-12 through school system here in Vincennes Catholic Schools, as well as uh, my diocesan positions that I've been working with, the newly ordained priests and missionary priests. Some of that's uh, set to change a little bit as I take on this new role serving with you in the vocations office. Yeah, so, so Father Tony was my childhood pastor growing up. I think we met when I was in second grade, maybe. I think so. He came, he was uh, he was just the seminarian named Tony. That's he right. showed up at our school when he was <laughs> in his late 20s, I think. And then uh, he became my pastor whenever I was a little older, and then he was actually my pastor when I got ordained a priest. And now I'm his boss. That's He's right. He's the associate vocation director, and I'm the, 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 the head guy. So. <laughs> I always wanted to work for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good thing you were good to me all those years. <laughs> exactly, that's right. So, uh, so Father Tony has taken over this uh, kind of this, uh, so basically a county, right? There's no, there's no other parishes in this county, are there? Not in Knox, I don't believe. Not in Knox County, Indiana. Okay. Before that, you were stationed in pa- basically one place for almost all of your 20 years of being a priest. Can you Correct. tell us about those assignments? Yeah, so when I was first ordained, I had an assignment. It was a little different. I was at... St. Peter and Paul in Hobstadt, and also St. Joseph in Princeton, uh, split there for a short time period. And I think part of that was for the getting the experience of it, part of it was to help those two priests who were there. Father Schering was uh, getting older, so I was assisting him, and Father Bernie was the vocation director, and mm. it was a good situation, actually, to work with both those fine men. And that was the year you got ordained? That was your first assignment? That's correct. What year was that? That was 1998. Okay. And I was, that was there very briefly. About six months, the bishop called me one day. And because of some things that happened, he needed me to move, ironically, to Jasper, to St. Joseph. So I became the associate pastor there for about three and a half years. And that was kind of in your backyard. It wasn't your home parish, but close. Right. Yeah, I grew up about five miles from there. And obviously went there a lot when I was young. And some of my family went there. So I spent three and a half years there. And then as uh, God's providence would have, the bishop called me one day. I still remember that day. I remember where I was at. And he asked me, uh, what would you think about going back to St. Peter and Paul and Hobstadt? And it was weird because the night before I'd had dinner with Father Schrering and he didn't say one word to me, mm. um, which he, he knew. And uh, so I said, of course I would. I'd go there. And... Then I called Father Schrering after that, and I said, hey, you know, you didn't tell me anything about that last night. (laughs) Thanks for not giving me the heads up. That's right. So anyway, then I went back there in November of 2002, and I stayed there until June of 2019. That's that's rare for a a priest, especially today. I mean, back whenever, uh, back in the old days, Monsignor Lindauer, for instance, you know, was the pastor in Hopstadt where Father Tony was pastor where I grew up in Hopstadt, Indiana. He was there for 40 years, 40 years straight in one place as a priest. That's almost unheard of today. Right. Heck, I've had, I think I've had nine assignments and I've been a priest for four years. So, (laughs) right. That was very odd. And he was a good priest. So it wasn't like he was there because he wasn't good. I mean, he was a fine man. So, 
yeah, I, I, they always tease me that I would be like him, but that wasn't that wasn't quite meant to be, and that's not a good idea anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I was very blessed to be there. And of course, I picked up some other parishes while I was there, and we did some uh, twinning together. And yeah, what what all parishes were you officially pastor at or administrator of in that in that seventeen years while you were in Hobstead? Yeah, so I was the pastor at Saints Peter and Paul, and then I inherited Holy Cross Parish in Fort Branch and St. Bernard Parish here at Snake Run, Fort Branch, along the way. Then as time went on, I also, for a brief period, served some at St. John's in Daylight. Which is um, about 20 minutes away from the South Gibson area, the Hopstead right. area. That was very brief. And then as, as time progressed and our plans kind of changed in the deanery, I let go of the parish there at Snake Run and took on St. James then, officially as the pastor with with Father Betts still living there. And really, I called him the pastor, really. Uh, I helped there. but That's also in Hobstad. That's correct. Actually, for the folks listening, my my home, the Tin Barge Farm Stand, you can Google it, is directly 0.8 miles between both St. Peter and Paul Parish and St. James Parish. And so... Those two kind of naturally need to be linked up anyway. They, they make sense together. Families go to both places. so Right. That was that assignment, really, you know, how that shook out over those years, good years. Yes. Yeah, so, so you mentioned, you said that, you know, maybe it's not a good idea for a guy to be at a place longer than a certain amount of time. What makes you say that? Well, I think for his sake and for the people's sake, for me, you know, I was very comfortable there and I loved it there. I love those people a lot. It's been good for me to uh, probably expand my uh, horizons a little bit and my ministry to challenge me to to deal with different situations, different uh, groups of people, different environments. You know, the, the environment is, is different everywhere, I think, to some extent. So that's been good. Also here, having a Catholic high school has been a great blessing. I've enjoyed that. Having moved to Vincennes, you have that here. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and I think... On the other side, on the people's side, and those parishes in Gibson County, they've been blessed to have some new priests and who are, are different than I am and have different gifts than I do. And I think that's a great blessing, you know, being able to uh, to let go of that and move on. And for both sides of that, I think there are great advantages in that, really. I mean, I, I'd say, you know, Father Lindar did a great job for 40 years. and But I think with that, the challenges are getting kind of set in your ways and it be, it can become yours, your parish. And I'm not accusing him of that because he was a very good man, very holy man. But I can see that happening. You know, it can become your own little homestead there mm-hmm. and it's not really yours. You know, a priest is meant to kind of come and go. Yeah. And the, the parish is the people's, not yours. So. And we kind of steward that yeah. flock, right? We don't, we don't own the flock. Actually, yeah, that's, that's something kind of common um, amongst people who had a pastor for a long time. There's several parishes in Evansville, uh, the Diocese of Evansville, that have had a priest for 20 or more years, you know, recently anyway. And they all kind of say, well, Father Jack never, you know, no, not, not Father Jack Durkholz, but, yeah, sure. you know, Father so-and-so, he he always did it this way. Or how come we can't do it like he did? Or why why are you changing it? Was, was he wrong? And, well, sometimes when a priest is there a long time, people start to think that that's the only way to be to run a place or to, to act like a priest is to act as father, you know, so-and-so did. You know, it's like in my case, I, I've got some strengths, but I've got plenty of weaknesses. And I think there are guys that could fill those spots up. And my weaknesses, definitely. And 
and vice versa, mm-hmm. you know. So I think all priests are, are different and are talented in different ways, and that's that's a good thing, you know, really, that we're not all the same, and we can take advantage of that, I think, gifts and talents. Yeah, and actually, it's on a theological note. So a diocesan priest is stable in his relationship with his diocese. Like a, mon- like a monk goes to a monastery, and his stability is in that monastery. He will be there with those men at that location forever, right? A diocesan priest, our stability is not to a parish, but to a geographical territory, to a church, a local or particular church, as we would say in canon law, a diocese. And so our stability is actually meant to be moved, you know, that we can steward different groups and different peoples based on the talents and strengths that are needed at the time. You said that there are many blessings that you got. Uh, what are some of the biggest blessings as you look back on the, your first, you know, kind of 20 years of priesthood? What were some of the kind of the biggest highlights for you? Well, I think uh, a lot of that is just relationships and and the great experience of ordinary things for me, like watching people uh, grow, you know, like yourself. Of course, I knew you, you know, since you were young and other people like that, like watching children watching them literally be born and come to school and grow and and now to do what they're doing. That's a great blessing of being a priest. You know, for me, when you look back on that and kind of think about it, observing that, that's a great blessing. I mean, I, I could get into uh, objective things, you know, like we built some new buildings and renovated things and that's all fun and great. But at a deeper level, I would say for me, it's uh, the relationships with people. And again, watching young people be educated and grow in their faith and, and now have their have their own families and things. Those are, uh, for me, the great blessings of the priesthood and being with people in, in joyous and sorrowful times and just remembering that and yeah, being there with them has a great impact on you as a priest, I think. You know, those are things that you carry with you really forever. Yeah, as you, as you said that, you know, seeing people have their first child and baptize that child and watch them, you know, be there when they get for their first communion and kind of watch them grow through school. Like you kind of sound like you're talking about all the things that a dad would say. Yeah. And you feel like that, you know, you talk about being a, uh, a spiritual father. And I think that's one of the great joys of it is being with children like that. And as a father does kind of watching over them and nourishing them and, and strengthening them. And that's, it's really is, I mean, there's a, there's a reason for the term, you know, mm-hmm. calling a priest that hopefully he's doing that, you know, with, with children and others. So that's, those are great, great joys of the priesthood that you, when you, especially when you can look back on, you know, I had some moments like that when I was going to leave there and I remember actually driving, you know, from there up to here first day that I did that. And mm-hmm. there was great sorrow in that, but also some great sense of peace what all had happened all those years. I mean, it's hard to wrap all that around here in your head, you know. Mm-hmm. But Let's go to your discernment story since we're kind of talking about spiritual paternity, spiritual fatherhood, and kind of the joy that you find there. Let's just start back at the beginning before we kind of get into, the, you know, did you ever want to be a dad and a husband, that kind of stuff. But when did you first think about priesthood? Well, I think like not a lot of young guys, some young guys, you know, I, I started serving mass when I was young and I was one of the uh, the real regulars. You know, I had a small parish. I grew up there at St. Celestine Parish. And we had a great uh, old priest, Father John Finus, who was really a fine man and a good friend of our families. I think that was also part of it, looking back on it. I'll share something about that later. But So I started serving Mass, and we were very faithful at that. 
Um, I went to school there actually down the hill from the church at a public school that had three nuns that taught, mm. three Benedictine sisters. In Celestine, sisters. Indiana. Yes. One of them was the principal. And uh, Would that have been in the 80s? When, when was that? Yeah, they'd been the, yeah early 80s, late 70s. Okay. There were three nuns teaching in the, in the principal at yeah. a public school. That's right. And we went to mass several times a week and had <laughs> religion classes like daily. Yeah. <laughs> only in only in Dubois County, Indiana, right. <laughs> would that be allowed? Right. I think there were only a couple people in my class that were not Catholics, and they weren't forced to do things, but they participated with us. They'd go to church with us, and mm. no one said a word. I mean, I also think that those sisters were a big part of my life. They would come to our house. We saw the human side of them. They played cards with us, mm. drink beer, and uh, <laughs> we had a lot of fun with them. They were really lovely ladies. I often what think order were they? They were Benedictines. Benedictines from Ferdinand, Indiana? They were. Okay. And uh, ironically, one of those was from, really one of my favorite teachers was from Hobstadt. She was Sister Mary Leon Kiesel. Oh, oh one of the Kiesels. Uh-huh. Yeah. So then I got to know all the Kiesels and figured all that connection out, how God does all that. But, but those sisters, I would say they were as influential in my life as the priests were. Because of their uh, their love, you know, for you. I mean, uh, they were like very motherly and somewhat strict. A few of them were, some of them weren't, but uh, I never really regretted that because I probably needed it anyway. One of them was really strict. Our second grade teacher was really tough, but uh, she was wonderful and we were blessed to have them. So, so, I, so you thought about when you were a kid then because of the... Yeah, them and serving Mass a lot. Like I said, there was always something beautiful about serving Mass. I I still remember that, ringing the bells and being close to the altar. And I'm sure that Father Finest, you know, he would probably get those his, his little digs in about that too. But uh, yeah, that, so that, it started there for me. And as I got older, I really didn't think about that much because I got into sports. I like sports a lot. I liked girls, you know, and like most guys, I really didn't think about the priesthood. During middle and high school, I was into other things. I do remember I have one experience where they had this thing, I believe it was called Called by Name, mm. where you could submit people's names. People could. I mean, you may have heard me tell the story. You did that to me whenever I was yeah, I did, your, yeah. your parishioner, when you were one of my pastor when yeah, I was that's little. Right. <laughs> that's right. So you can accuse me of that. So I, I got one of those. I remembered that. I think I was in high school. And so it was, it was a program where a parishioner could write down the name of someone they know that they thought would be have a call to priesthood or religious life, right? That's correct. Call them by name and then that person would get contacted. Right. So I got contacted and, but you don't know who does that for you. So anyway, I just kind of threw it away without saying anything. Like, I don't want that deal with that <laughs> did stuff. Did your parents see that? Or no, did it go straight I don't think to you? So. They never said anything about okay. that. So I just got rid of that, never said a word and I went on. Well, years later, I figured out when I said I was going to go to the seminary, it was my grandma. She's the one that did it. Did you confront her? <laughs> I did, yeah. It was you. I said, yeah, she, it was me, you know. And she was very, uh, an interesting woman, you know, not a, uh, a superly pious woman or anything, just a very realistic woman. But mm. she just kind of saw that she in She saw me. it in you and she encouraged it. And she was like, after my mother, she was my second mother because mm. I lived next to them and I spent a lot of time there. and so. Her and my grandpa had a lot of, a lot of formational influence on me in the faith, in my human development. There's no other way to say that. So time goes on. I was in high school, like I said, and I started dating a young lady. And seriously, for 
over four years. So I graduated from high school. Then I went on to college at, at USI, the University of Southern Indiana there in Evansville. And I was studying accounting, which again, I don't know how I felt called to that. And looking back on it, I think, you know, like a lot of college people, you got to do something. You got to pick so, some, yeah, some major, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll pick that. And I never really liked it that much, but <laughs> there I was. I really liked the idea of being married to this woman more than I liked anything else. So, so that, not, not married in general, but married to her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just was pretty much. Uh, did she go to USI? Did she you follow did. her there? Yeah. Okay. I followed her there. Maybe she followed you or whatever. No, I probably followed her. <laughs> so not bad desires. You know, I can't say I had bad desires there. It was a good desire to get married and, and uh, be a family man. You know, I always thought I would. My dad was, you know, and my grandpa. These are the guys I looked up to. And to make a long story short, uh, some things just didn't go well there with that relationship. Like a lot of immature relationships, it was very immature, I'm sure. It, fe- it fell apart. And I, I tell people that that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because it it opened another door for me. You know, that's when I really discerned mm. when, when I didn't have that preoccupying me all the time. Once I got through the grief of all that and let it go, I remember my mother telling me, because I was, I was depressed and struggling. Was this, was this in college or after college? Yeah, this was uh, about the end of my junior year of college. Okay. So I remember her directly telling me to go and see Father John Beglin, who was my pastor then. He was a good friend of our family. He's a good man. And so easy to talk to. So I did. I went to the rector. I still remember that night. And all I remember him really telling me was he kind of consoled me and and shared his own story. He'd kind of been through things like that. I remember him saying something, you know, perhaps God's calling you in another direction. That's all he said. It wasn't anything. It wasn't pushing you. Not at all. So I went home that night and that put me on a path, though, of uh, a lot of peace. I remember getting up the next day. I remember the days following that. I began to be at peace with myself more. I prayed more. I, I prayed like I'd never had before. More of a prayer of, you know, openness to God. Okay, God, you know, now you've got me. Where do you want to lead me? And I don't know how else to say this to people, but that's really how it started for me was being open to God. And and then I started having, you know, feelings about that without anyone saying anything more to me. Then I remember going to St. Minerad. And having a little retreat there, which I really loved. Was it a, a priest? Yeah, kind of. Retreat? Yeah, it was like a come and see thing and, and uh, spent, a, spent a couple of days there. I met a couple of seminarians there who were really great guys. I'd never met a seminarian in my life. Mm. Never heard of one. That was the weirdest thing. You know, I think of the difference in my era than like yours and guys that are now. Mm. I never knew what a seminarian was. Never saw one in the flesh. I mean, obviously, you know, people become priests, but you know, nothing about that. Where they come from, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Knew nothing about that. And I always had priests that, except Father John, were older. You know, they just, they're there. You don't know anything about them, really. I mean, they're just your priest. Mm -hmm. So everything kind of started snowballing then. I didn't look back. You know, I've never looked back from that time. It's the strangest thing in some ways. Mm -hmm. Like I never dated any other women. I had my friends that tried to set me up with women. You need to do this. You should Mm -hmm. do that. Something's wrong with you, you know, like, no, I, I just was really at peace with that. And I never looked back on that. Do you think it's possible to tell someone how to find that place? Like, so you, you said, you know, 
the next day you woke up and you kind of finally opened yourself to God and you were kind of on a path of peace. And I think people who are listening that are also struggling in their own vocations, whether they're called a marriage or priest or, you know, whatever, they might be thinking to themselves, gosh, well, how do I find that place? Do you, did you go and take it? Like, did you get it or did it come to you <laughs> or was yeah. it a combination? I think it's a combination. I think it's more about uh, coming to you though. Being open, I guess, is the word. You know, if you can pray that way, which is always a scary prayer. Okay, God. You know, I for surrender. me, it was like, yeah, yeah, that was the word. Yeah, you said it. It was surrender, you know, like, because I was always wanting to be in control. Typical German man, you know, like <laughs> everybody in my life been in control. You know, my dad, I was grandpa, you know, these guys, they had it all. This is the way it's going to be. So to be out of control in that sense and, and surrender is scary. but. That's when the peace really came for me was when I could say, all right, God. I remember saying that to God, you know, like, like I never had before. This is, it's gonna, going to be up to you now because everything that I thought was supposed to happen, it's gone. Mm. So that was the best prayer for me. Mm. And then it just, uh, it just happened. And I think because of some of that, uh, some folks' reaction to that was, uh, well, you know, that's just a reaction to your former relationship. Mm. Maybe there's something going on there psychologically. Yeah. You know, like maybe you just need to, um, I had people try to slow me down and that was fine. I can appreciate that too. I had some time because then uh, fast forwarding. So then I was in about my senior year, of my last year of college there, my fourth year going into that, I uh, really started discerning. I met with a vocation director and started talking about that. And I was on a track to where I could actually graduate early. So I took a whole bunch of classes. I maxed out that summer and stayed there in Evansville and actually worked for the city in the controller's office. I kind of dabbled around with some accounting work just mm-hmm. to see how that was. Like in the fall after your junior year? That's right. Okay. And then I, uh, I spent that last fall there at USI and I graduated early, actually three and a half years with that degree in accounting. So then I was able to spend that next uh, semester. Yeah, semester. I actually worked at Jasper Engine and Transmission. Hmm. That had nothing to do with my degree. And, <laughs> but back uh, in your home. Yeah, I was back at home though. It was, it was a good time really in my life. I spent time with my parents, my family, friends. I, I actually just had a, uh, a messy, dirty job for about several months. I made some good money. But, you know, these guys kept asking me because they were all just kind of rough guys. I liked them, but blue, why are you blue here? Blue-collar situation. Yeah. yeah. What are you doing? You know, like, and my other people that, of course, I graduated with, they kept asking me that, you know, constantly like, why are you doing that? What are you going to do? And finally, you know, you have to tell people. And so you, just, it was already, seminary was already in your head. You were yeah. planning on it for the next fall. I was. You were just sitting on it, just yeah. waiting until till you could walk through the doors. Yeah, pretty much. And I spent that time you know, like going to mass a lot. And it was a, it was a good six months really. If I could go back, I mean, I, cause again, it was a good time with my family and some of my friends who were very supportive. What did, how did your family react when you told, you know, when you said mom and dad, I'm going to seminary. Was it like a big moment where you like, you had a big dinner one night and you stood up at the end of the table and you announced it? Or was this yeah. like a subtle, they saw the letters coming in the mail from the diocese, you know? Yeah. I probably got to it before that. You know how that is. I mean, you do know probably too, that it's, it's kind of intense when you get to that point because you can be thinking that and praying about it and maybe even talk to somebody on the outside about it. But first, my mother was the easy one because typical of a mother. Mm-hmm. And she didn't even act surprised. She knew me better than anyone, I'm sure of that. 
that really wasn't hard. And she didn't say a whole lot, typical of my mom. But then I remember, I don't know, she asked me that, or I said, I have to tell dad, you know, and that was going to be a whole different thing. <laughs> and uh, you're, the, you're the only son though, right? Right. Yeah. So, you know, that's going through my head. And I think my dad, he, my dad's a man of few words, but I, I would say that in his mind, he wanted me to be like him in the sense of you'll get a good job. You'll be a hardworking man. You'll have a family. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. Um, what most dads think about for their son. So, you know, that's all going through your head. And I, I remember though, one night we would do, work together. He has a shop there. He's actually a cobbler on the side, a shoe cobbler and a, well, he can do anything really. My dad's a very talented man, but he has a shop, works on leather, belts, whatever, everything. So we're down there piddling around one night. That's something else I did with him a lot. And I just kind of threw it out there, like kind of randomly, yeah, how are things going? You know, you just throw it out there. Well, I think I'm going to go to the seminary. <laughs> and I just remember, you know, again, he doesn't say much. And I don't remember a whole lot of what he said really, except, you know, he, he thought it was a little uh, hasty, I think. And mm. Maybe it's because, you know, things... Well, to him, it probably was. He probably didn't right. hear about it until you said yeah. it's going to happen. And his response was, well, maybe uh, maybe it's because, you know, things didn't work out with this gal you were dating, and mm. there might be another one. It was all fair responses. But after it soaked in, I mean, he never said any other word. The only other thing I think I remember my dad saying to me I, was that, you know, if you want to do that, then then that's what you're going to do. You're going to be all in it which is the way he is. If you're committed to something, then it's not halfway. It's fully in. He just said that to me if I was going to get married, which is good. You mm-hmm. ought to have a dad like that. It was difficult. Some of them was, it was difficult. Other ones, it was easy. But it's amazing, and you know this too, that the support you get from people is incredible. I mean, for any uh, young man that listens, to just know that, you know, when you uh, come out with that news, you know, people are, Sometimes you have to settle people down. You know, like, I'm not a priest yet. Just, you know, relax here. Mm-hmm. This is a process. Right. Thank you for, you know, supporting me. But but people are incredibly supportive. And the things that they will say to you, you know, like what they saw in you or, you know, you've got a heart like that. Some of my really good friends, one of them, I was blessed to have her daughter's wedding this past year. She was one of my best friends, you know, in school. And she wasn't a Catholic. Ironically, at the time when we were growing up, but she became one because she married a guy from my parish. That's a whole other story. But, well, it might be worth telling that story a little bit. So she she got pregnant when we were seniors in high school. Mm. and With this guy? Yeah. A very fine guy. And he comes from a really nice family there. Very good Catholics. And so she got pregnant. She was a cheerleader, a beautiful girl. And we were always very close. And I think I was one of the first people she told that to. Mm-hmm. I still remember that. And uh, there were no options on what was going to happen there. I mean, like with his family and all and hers, you know, they were going to have that baby. Mm-hmm. We graduated right in the middle of all that. And they got engaged and got married. Wow. I remember being a part of all that and going to it. And she joined the church. Now they have four children. Mm-hmm. And they've been married for, they've been married for like 25, uh, 25. 30 years actually. Yeah. yeah. My goodness. Yeah. 30 years they've been married now because we've graduated 30 years ago. So I got to have her daughter's wedding this past year. Mm. Beautiful girl, just like her. 
Was and that the daughter? They, they the first their first child. Yeah, yeah, it was very powerful. Hmm. So how you know, that kind of comes around? But she said to me, you know that that uh, she always remembered the fact that when she told me that how I treated her. Hmm. You know, so then when I wanted wanted to go be a priest, she said, you know, it never surprised her because she was I was one of those guys she could talk to about things hmm. and. I didn't know all that. You know, you just look back on it and say, these are just, you know, how God works and all that stuff mm-hmm. is incredible. I would also say that to people, you know, on both sides of that, to say things to people, you know, when you experience that, um, I see that in you, something, you know, special, whatever that is. And when you hear that, for young people that are listening to this, you know, to take that to heart, you know, the people mean that. They do see something in you. Because I, I would be guilty of just kind of blowing that off and saying, oh, you know, whatever, you're just saying that. Because mm. it's not true. Father Schering, God rest his soul, he used to say that to me when someone would say something really profound or kind, my temptation would be to say, well, you know, whatever. They're you're just being nice. Yeah. And when, when they would walk away, he would like slap me upside the head like he could do. <laughs> and he'd be like, don't do that. You know, people mean that. You know, and he was going to get real serious. And he'd be like, you know, he said, that's almost rude of you, he'd say, to do that. Mm. You should take that to heart and say thank you. So I, I always try to do that now. Archbishop yeah. Daniel B. Klein, who's a mutual kind of mentor of both of ours, the late, the late Archbishop from St. Saint, uh, Minard Archabbey, but Archbishop of Indianapolis, he used to say to the seminarians whenever he would try to give them a gift or when somebody would give them a gift or a compliment and they didn't want to take it, they're like, no, I don't need it. And he would say, don't be above charity. Yeah. Right? Like we need to be able to accept love right. from people or goodness or generosity because it makes them feel good honoring them and it honors their dignity right that they're able to give right so yeah then i went to the seminary i went that was in the fall of 93 well i went to meet bishop gettlefinger that was an interesting experience he was intimidating you know Mm -hmm. to me so i remember going into his office he, he kind of looks like Jay Leno. He does. And his, his hands are basically vice grips. <laughs> yeah, they are. So, and that's no exaggeration, folks. <laughs> yeah, his fingers are like sausages. I mean, he's got this big ring, you know, and you walk in his office and he's like, yeah, sit down. Okay. First he shakes your hand. He about rips your hand apart. I got small hands. He's got these monstrous ones. So, yeah, sit down. And, you know, it's not much small talk at the beginning. And he says to me, he kind of up, up in my face, he says, I still remember it. He said this, do you think you could be a good husband and a father? And I was like thinking to myself, you know, all these things were going through my head. Like, why is he asking me that? What should I say? He goes, answer it. And I was like, yes. You know, I said, well, I thought that's what I would do, what I would be. And he looked at me, I'll never forget that, without hesitating. And he said, good, because those are the kind of guys I want to be my priests. Mm. I'll never forget that because he said, if you could be a good husband and a father, then you can take care of God's people. Mm. It's that same thing again. You can be a father, uh, a spiritual father, biological one. Those two are very close. Then he also went on to talk about that with me. He said, you know, discerning the priesthood is difficult because when you're discerning being married, those two are so fine, so close together that that's always going to be difficult. And isn't that true? You know, working with guys with discernment, that's difficult because those two aren't far apart. They're just not because you want similar characteristics, obviously. So we had a conversation together. 
basically it was kind of like an acceptance conversation, if you will. And and then he flops out at me. He said, well, I think he said it exactly like this. You're really going to like it at Mundelein Seminary. And I was just kind of like, never heard of that. Where is that at? You know, and yeah, that's up in Chicago. And I think you'll like it there. And I was just thinking, well, I was going to go to St. Minorad, you know, and my grandpa was from St. Minor, so I spent a lot of time there. I loved it's, it there. It's what, 30 minutes from Celestine, right. 45 minutes yeah. close. Yeah. I had it all planned. I'm going to go there. You know, it's going to be great. I can slip home when I want to, whatever. And that's exactly why he wanted me to go to Mundelein, mm-hmm. I think. That's kind of what he said to me. I'd like you to go there and expand your horizons a little bit. And we had some men there, um, Father Bernie Aitchen. So then I went and visited and whatnot, and he was getting ordained that year, actually. Mm-hmm. Then in the fall of 93, I... Packed up and headed up to uh, Chicago there, North Chicago, Mundelein Seminary. And at that time, it was a five-year program. The first year was pre-theology and then the four years of of theology. But that was a good experience, you know, going to the seminary there. There were men there from all over the world. And that was the first time for me, really, to be exposed to that. I had real good friends that were from Africa. There were uh, men from India there, China. Good friend of mine was Chinese, so they were from all over the place. Do you keep in touch with any of those guys? Still? A couple of them, yeah. yeah. A guy from Africa, I still do. We email each other, and his name's Simon Peter. You can never <laughs> forget him. Yeah, yeah what, a, what a great name. Yeah, he was a wonderful man. So I, I had some great experiences there with some some really incredible like professors and spiritual men, like uh, Bishop Robert Barron was one of my professors there. What a uh, treasure. I used to go down in the gym and the treadmill and be next to him. And I've told you some of these stories, but he'd be reading like the Summa of Thomas Aquinas, sweating profusely on it. And (laughs) I would be like, Father, there's no way you can read that when you're on a treadmill. And he was like, well, and he wasn't bragging, but he basically had like a photo memory, you know, and that guy is incredible. Now he's, of course, on to be the auxiliary there in Los Angeles, but yeah, the YouTube videos he's making now are pulling from the stuff he was reading while you were standing, standing beside yeah. him on another treadmill. <laughs> exactly. So I was very fortunate to go there and had a great five years. I, I I was glad to get out of there, to be honest. But it was a blessing because my parents would come visit, friends would. Beautiful place, you know, for people who have been there. Yeah, before we before we kind of gloss over that, you said, I'm glad to be out of there. There's a lot of seminarians that say that. They're like, I love seminary. I wouldn't go back, right? Yeah. <laughs> what, what, right. Is, what is that sentiment about? What do you think? I just think you're so tired because it's a lot, as you know. You know, it's a lot of evaluations and formation. Um, they're trying to change you, right? I mean, yeah. they're trying to change right. us. It is. It's a conversion process. But I'll also be honest in saying that it was some of the best years of my life because of the relationships. And I mean, who has an opportunity to do that, mm-hmm. to spend five years um, studying, you know, the faith and, and being formed in that? Right. Well, yeah, it's it's basically yeah. I, I, I kinda, if I can kind of kind of steal the the mic here, yeah, I, I think the same. I think the same thing. How many people are blessed to get five years? Or I got seven and a half. That's you know how much it took for my seminary formation to have expert people who are trained in in Christianity, like living discipleship, both human, spiritual, academic, you know, all this stuff, right? And just saying, here's the gifts God gave you. Here's the rough edges. Let's smooth those things off so you can make the pearl you know, polish the pearl until it shines, right? That's that's tre- a tremendous blessing. Yeah. It but really it's also is. hard work, you know? Right. It is, but, 
Yeah, I don't think people, they don't realize that, what that's like. And they just think you kind of go off and do some studying and it's multi-layered, right, multi-layered yeah. experience. And even for yourself, you know, there's, for me, there really wasn't yet, but they we've expanded into like opportunities to travel around the world mm-hmm. and you've seen things and great experiences really. And, and like I said, being together with other other men from all over the world, that's always a great experience. I think, you know, those friendships. And Well, there, there's two other things I want to ask about. One of them is before we started this uh, podcast, before we turned the mics on, I asked you how many, you know, I, I had pulled up a list of what I thought was all of the seminarians we've had from South Gibson since you were kind of connected down there as a priest and we got to 11. So there were 11 seminarians, guys who went to seminary, about half of them became priests in the course of 14, 17, 17 years, right? 17 years that you mm-hmm. were down there. For all the priests that might be listening to this, what's your secret sauce? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had one. But I think the secret sauce is um, building that community, vocations in, in a community, you know, and, and beginning to, you know, like I intentionally would pray. That's always one of the petitions at Mass. Mm. So that that's a start, always praying about it and getting people to, not just the uh, all all vocations. I like to say, you know, the one of the priests who was with me, Father Gary Kaiser, a good friend of ours. You know, he he was he's very from good. Vincennes, actually. That's yeah. right, he's from Vincennes, and he was he was a great associate with me. I almost considered him almost like a partner. He was just ordained, but he was mature man, and uh, I remember him also in the petitions. I would say for, for vocations to the priesthood and religious life, and he got me to extend that out. And he would say, "Oh, we should also say." For people who are, are living the married life or even the single life, you know, mm-hmm. make that all a vocational petition. Mm-hmm. So we always started doing that. And I think that those were some of the roots of it. I also believe that, yeah, we, we started sowing the seeds like that with families and getting them to think about that more. What would that be like? And then I think it just starts happening. It's one person. Oh, this guy went to the seminary. Uh you know, then more people are open to it because then we're talking about it with our younger people. We started having seminarians there from St. Meinrad. Mm-hmm. So we started exposing people, to say it that way, to uh, discernment. And I think that that changed the whole climate of it, mm-hmm. is getting that before them. That's why. They get the living witness. Someone's right. doing it. It's not this weird yeah. thing. They don't just drop out of the sky. And we've talked about this, but one of the sadnesses is not having enough uh, women religious in, in the presence of. Uh, are young women because how do you become something you don't you don't get to see? I think there's something about that that we have to work harder at that and uh, expose young ladies to religious vocations because I I think that for the young guys and even for the young ladies I think seeing all those young men around them you know like they started being part of our religious education classes and part of our youth group down there regularly they were exposed to them. And not to mention people like yourself and the other guys who were from that community, you know, that just became kind of normal. I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, you. This is something that I that I try to do with the seminarians that I work with is make sure they go when when they're home on break from seminary, serve every mass you can at your home parish. Because I mean, you had me do that too. And by the way, priests, pastors, uh, he also gave me fifty bucks, a hundred bucks whenever I did that too, like on Christmas and Easter. So uh, be generous to your seminarians, keep them happy. Yeah. But but I th- I think that having them up front, right, especially at special occasions, reminds people again because usually they're off at school, right? When yeah. they're home on breaks, get them get them in front of the people, have them involved in liturgy or youth group or whatever, visiting the nursing homes. 
Yeah, it's it's all all promotional, you know, to do that. It's good for the people and for the man to uh, start some discern. Right. I was blessed too because I had a priest that, priest that did that. I mean, they just when you came home, they expected you to come and serve with them, mm-hmm. and they weren't pushy about that. But they saw the same thing. You know, they wanted to uh, get that in front of the people. And because, again, you know, my experience was totally different. I never, never saw a seminary and didn't know what one was. And no one talked about it, really. So it's interesting to think about that. You know, I was born in 1971. And this isn't to blame anyone. It's just kind of where where we were, I think, in, in society and the church. Because we came off of a boom of vocations, you know, like in the... 50s, 60s. Post-World War II, yeah. Yeah. But then we have stretches there where we didn't talk about that a whole lot. And it was a confusing time too, I think, in some ways. So now we're in a much healthier spot, I think, when it comes to vocations and promoting that, talking about it. Yeah. The people here, like in Vincennes, for instance, I've got these two young guys with me and it's amazing. Most people haven't met them, obviously, because we've been quarantined. Mm-hmm. So they only yeah. know them from watching, you know, Facebook masses. Yeah. So these two seminarians moved in when the seminary closed because <laughs> of quarantine. Uh, yeah. So they haven't got to meet them yet, but they see them, you know, yeah. at least virtually. <laughs> yeah. So Tyler, one of our seminarians, he went to Walmart a while ago to get something. And he said, yeah, I met some people that know me, but I didn't know them. <laughs> he said, yeah, you're famous. <laughs> yeah. He's on Facebook every day. But so it's, but it's been amazing to see like people have sent us gift cards in the mail. They brought us food. I haven't had that for, well, since I've been here, you know, like those guys have created something really special. The people must really love them. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> kind of made me wonder about myself, but yeah, I said that to someone. I said, where were you? You know, like for the first eight months I was here or whatever. And they just kind of smiled. I was teasing, but, but it does go to show you that there's something about having them those young men in the in a community that for themselves to see that and to experience it, but for the people, there's something alive about that and rich. There's, there's just great hope, right? Yeah. Our church, our parish has a future, you know. The the other thing I wanted to ask about the other, of the last two things here is, so you and I, a year ago, almost just about a year ago, we went to Italy and France on a little pilgrimage with Father Gary, the priest you mentioned earlier. And we did like a basic kind of a pilgrimage slash vacation. And one of the things we did, I'm actually looking at a picture of it right now across the, uh, just behind you, a picture yeah. of you celebrating mass at the altar of St. John Vianney, the cure of ours uh, yeah. in Southern France. That had to have been a highlight, I think, for you as far as vacations go. Um, I know that when we went back to the um, Airbnb and different things at night to talk about things, um, those were kind of powerful moments. So I guess that all that leads me to, most people don't ever hear about the spiritual life of the priest. Like they don't know how father prays or what's important to father or what touches him kind of deeply because we're kind of constantly trying to minister to other people, not being asked about our own moments of consolation, you know, of spiritual uh, grace. That was a highlight definitely of the, of my life going there with you guys, good friends and the experiences we had there. And I don't really talk about a whole lot of that. So it's kind of a personal thing, not to show it off, I guess, but, but as, on a spiritual level. That was much more than a vacation for us. You know, that was a a powerful experience of grace in a lot of ways. And I would say, uh, at a spiritual level, just as I'm working on this uh, this rectory, one of the things we're hoping to establish is a chapel right up here in the corner. It's a beautiful room, actually, in this house because it's very got a lot of light in it. And 
So our hope is to create a beautiful uh, chapel there with the Blessed Sacrament. And so just the the daily prayer of a priest. And for me, it's uh, that's so important. And, and in a lot of ways, it's very practical, staying close to Christ, you know, in one's own prayer. And because a lot of people come to you with a lot of things and, and a lot of need for prayer. You know, like I can think of in a week's time, the amount of people that will just ask you that, you know, mm-hmm. to to pray for them. I had a great spiritual director in the seminary, Father uh, Larry Hennessy, who was a big Irishman. And uh, unlike me, he was a monster, big guy. And he'd give me a hug and he'd just kind of consume me. He had some great uh, nuggets of advice. And one of those was when someone asks you to pray for them and you tell them you will, then you do that. So he said, you write it down then. Mm-hmm. And he said, you should keep that before you, like on your prayer, as you go through that then to mention their name. You know, don't just say that, but I really mean it. And there's some real truth in that. And people know that about you, I think. You know, if you're a, a spiritual leader, a prayerful man, then they're going to come to you for that mm-hmm. th- those things. You hope they do. You hope they see that in you. Because, you know, they see Christ in you, and that's only going to happen if, if you're exposing yourself to Christ and he, he's uh, shining on you, then you can reflect him on then to others, hopefully. So, yeah, one's own prayer life is is very important, and that looks different for all priests, I think. You know, everybody's got their own piety, and that's fine. That probably comes and goes a little bit and changes a little bit as you grow, but some of that is is consistent, you know, because it's it's meant to be, of course, part of our vows is to pray for the church every day. And we take that seriously because it's like a vow to one's wife. You know, it's not optional. So praying the, uh, the, the divine office every day is uh, something we're devoted to. For myself personally, you know, like when I got ordained, and actually I picked this up from a real good friend of mine who I had a lot of respect for, I still do, a priest and uh Lafayette, Indiana, he had a great devotion to Mary, and he said that when we uh, got ordained that we should make a consecration to Mary and devote ourselves to praying the daily rosary. So I've I've done that ever since I've been ordained from that day, committed to that. I started in the seminary, but and that's been a real blessing for me because that's one of those prayers that you can do at any time, any place, and just brings a lot of peace and a lot of comfort as well as other, you know, particular personal devotions and just spiritual reading is so important, I think, for the priest, because if you're not taking care of your own soul, then, uh, as Father Larry said, you know, how are you going to take care of other people's souls? Mm. I mean, it just doesn't make much sense. I'm not bragging about that because I have a long way to go, but some of the great priests in my own life, I think that's why Father Betts, who's one of my heroes, one of the great things about Father Betts that I always found in him was in the sacristy, that guy, well, first of all, he's, you'll find him a lot in the church praying. If you want to find him, he's there at St. James. How old is Father Betts? Yeah, Father Betts is 80. 80 years old. But the thing about Father Betts is, like when you go in the sacristy, he's always got two or three little books that he's reading constantly. And some of those are old books that he's read multiple times mm-hmm. that they never get old to him. He told me that one day. He said that uh, the spiritual life has never gotten old for him. Mm-hmm. What a great, you know, and again, if you know him, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't mince words and he doesn't think about much he says. He just says it. Mm-hmm. But some of the things he's said to me over the years, 
I've really taken to heart because there's something beautiful about that for an 80 year old priest to uh, never get tired of of learning and growing and converting. You know, that guy, that man will spend time reading books and taking notes on them. And I think really when he's done with that, he just throws the notes away, you know? So it's it's not like he's saving this up or it's just all for his own enrichment, mm. for his own preaching and his own ministry. So I hope I could do that for a younger priest someday. You know, they could see that in me, a guy that never got tired of of growing. You know, like it's the spiritual life can never become stagnant. I think that's one of the great things about just being a Christian, but let alone being a priest, you know, that it's a, that's so important, really. And seminary kind of helps start that process for five years, seven years, eight years. It's got to grow every day, every year. Yeah. Well, Father Tony, you've been a, a big inspiration for me and for many young men to be priests. And I think also I could probably say the same thing about to, about young women and young married couples that want to uh, kind of just see, so they see your devotedness and your faithfulness and they want to follow that in their own vocation. So, so thank you. Why don't we close with a prayer? If you'd like to lead us, you can, or I can do it either way. Sure. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for the great gift of our vocation that you give to each of us. And we pray that with the help and the guidance of your Holy Spirit, that each each of us will will find that in our lives. We'll find that peace deep within us, the peace of your call to serve you in some special way. That's the beauty of being a, a human person that you've created each of us with a soul and a soul that longs to to love you and to serve you. So we pray for the grace to do that. Particularly want to pray for all the those who may listen to this, particularly young people that you might inspire them to be more open to you. And to pray that prayer, one of surrender, to do your holy will in their life, for it is in that that they'll find lots of peace, joy, and and happiness. So we thank you for this time. We thank you for Father Tyler and his great ministry. You'll continue to bless him as well as our all of our vocation team as we work to strengthen our local church and ultimately the universal church. All this we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen.